We're imagining a better future with one of my absolute favorites. Coming up next, we are speaking with global faith leader, social justice advocate, author, and change maker, Danielle Strickland. And we are speaking about the importance of men and women working together, uh, the continued work of anti-racism and racial reconciliation. We're speaking about homelessness and the current housing crisis and her incredible initiative to respond to that in my backyard. I'm also sitting with this powerhouse to discuss the incredible ministries that she's given birth to, Brave Global for At-Risk Girls, Women Speaker Collective to amplify voices of women in this world, Uh, Amplify Peace, which is a peacemaking initiative right across this whole world. And I'm telling you, there is so, so much more. You don't want to miss this conversation. You're going to be ignited, motivated, and challenged. Available on all podcast platforms or subscribe to my YouTube channel. I'll see you on the path. You're listening to On the Path Podcast with Cheryl Nemhard, brought to you by Fight for Freedom. Follow Cheryl Nemhard on all social media platforms. Hey guys, welcome to On the Path. I am so excited to have my road dog, my ride or die, dear friend in the building. This is Danielle Strickland, and I cannot wait for you to get to know her more or hear her heart of where she's at in this season if you do track with Danielle. Danielle is a global speaker. She is a global faith leader and a social justice advocate, and she sits over some incredible ministry initiatives that we're going to roll out today, and we're also going to talk about her latest book, Better Together. Will you welcome with me my girl, Danielle Strickland? What's up, girl? Hey, Cheryl. (laughs) Man, I'm so happy to have you in the building. This feels like this feels like just girl talk to me. (laughs) Girl talk with swords. (laughs) Let's do it. Let's do it. Um, So, Danielle, listen, uh, you know, I always call you this and I know you cringe, but it's really true to me. You're a world changer. You're 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 really passionate about making the world a better place. And I think that behind like this big ministry, big platform, I always think there's a big life. And Mm -hmm. I would love for you to share because I know a little bit about it. And I think the viewers and listeners are going to love to hear this. Your story before Jesus and then how that how your past like informs what you do today yeah so uh quickly you know it it take a little while but uh very quickly I grew up in a religious household my parents are uh pastors with the Salvation Army and um I a, a, a few traumatic things happened to me I was sexually abused as a kid and um and then also I just think I was confused about God I thought that God was the killer of a good time. (laughs) And I was always naturally inclined towards freedom. And so I kind of took uh, rebellion to as far as it could go for me. So that meant, you know, I I ran away from, I was a runner. I ran away from home when I was like five and when I was eight and when I was 10 and when I was, and then it just kind of continued and got into uh, drugs and alcohol and then stealing cars and became a juvenile delinquent and then just was dropped out of school and landed up in jail and um, in a holding cell. Actually, I'd been in and out of uh, various prison, um, like uh, police stations and things like that. As a matter of fact, I I was charged when I was 10. So I had to go to family court before I was even a juvenile delinquent. (laughs) Wow. So um, anyway, you know, you're like inclined towards rebellion when you have to go to family court before you're old enough to go to juvie court. But 
Uh, anyway, while I was in that holding cell, a friend, uh, a woman leader in the Salvation Army that went to my parents' church at the time had taken an interest in me, just prayed for me and used to come pick me up at police stations because I was estranged from my family. And um, and she just came to visit me in the holding cell. I don't even know how she got in because, you know, you're not supposed to have visitors there. But uh, she used her super suit, Salvation Army uniform, came to see me gave me a lawyer's card and just wrapped her arms around me and said, I love you. I did not wrap my arms back. I was not happy to see her as she left the holding cell. I just shouted after her. You didn't even bring me a smoke <laughs> and uh, door closed behind her. And I was alone and I had an encounter with Jesus. Uh, Jesus came the same way she had. Uh, I don't even know really how to describe this. I try, you know, I was it a vision I don't know. I kind of felt the arms of Jesus around me and he whispered wow. in my ear, I love you. And wow. it was as though, you know, someone had turned on a light and I could see for the first time and I didn't convert on the spot, but where the, where the repentance happened in me was just the metanoia, you know, to change the way you see is what that word means. And I literally saw God and he was love. And that began to change everything in my life. And I even remember seeing for the first time my own condition, like literally, I can't say it on this podcast, but like, wow, I'm in jail, you know, like just that even realization that this is not a good way to go. And so then I began, uh, my mother describes it as fast as I was headed to hell. I turned and, you know, in the same pace, uh, just tried to keep up with Jesus and um, a desire to partner with him uh, in, in telling other people that they too are loved. And so, and that's, your story is just so incredible. And it's, there's parts of it that feels so familiar to me. (laughs) And I know what that pain feels like. Um, would you say that your beginnings really gave you a heart for those that are bound, those that are not free in so many different ways? Absolutely. And I would say, you know, the beginning is even before me in that both my parents were orphans and uh, were taken in, were found by the church who welcomed them into family. So my, you know, my upbringing, very fascinating, but like we're always on the side of the underdog. So I tell people, you know, when uh, Hockey Night in Canada was on, I would always come in to watch it with my dad and say, dad, who are we cheering for? Because we never picked a team. We were always on the underdog's side. And uh, so there was a real ethos in my family that this is who we are. These are our people. We are the underdog. Um, And so I think in many respects, like that was just kind of deeply embedded in me that this is, this is who I relate to the most. Um, It wouldn't be till years later. I didn't uh, uh, even remember the sexual abuse of my early um, days until years and years later. So I would have characterized up until probably about 10 years ago, I would have just characterized my life as a rebellious one. I didn't realize until about 10 years ago or so that it was actually a pain, shame, trauma one. Yeah, it was a a broken one. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, my goodness. And so out of that brokenness and out of that pain and trauma, uh, a, a ministry heart was birthed. Uh, you probably didn't even fully understand it. As you said, you were kind of learning as you go. And and now you're here and you are traveling the globe. Uh, and it's not just about the speaking. You are putting your hands in the plow. You are really uh, 
trying to build bridges where there are camps and infighting, trying to help us understand one another in the church, helping the poor, helping those that are struggling with uh, hunger and food crisis right now. You're doing global work. I, I just I have to wonder uh, what would <laughs> what would the Danielle of the past think of the Danielle now? Oh, I mean, I don't even think the Danielle of the past could maybe comprehend it. Although, you know, when I uh, miraculously didn't go to prison, there was a, a minimum uh, ask by the prosecution of three years in a maximum security facility. I was in some big trouble. And the judge uh, miraculously let me out, sent me to a drug treatment center instead. And when she was doing it, this is funny, my mom told me this, I have no memory of this, but my mom said to me, she wrote it down, it was so profound, but the judge said, I need you to go become the leader you were meant to be. Oh, come on. And, um, you know, so that's really interesting. I remember my, uh, a really good friend of mine used to be my parents' youth worker, and she was there when I was uh, saved, you know, when I was converted. And she used to pray. She felt so guilty because before that happened, she used to pray that I wouldn't show up at youth group because she said, if you showed up at youth group, it all went south in a hurry and, and everybody went with you, you know? So I think in some ways there were, you know, I think some things are naturally embedded in us. We have sort of natural inclinations. And I think leadership is one of the things that's just been a part of Mm-hmm. who I am from the beginning, which is a shame mm-hmm. <laughs> to some people who followed me before. But I yeah. think, um, yeah, so I think she would be amazed. Uh, one of the big turning points for me was on a mission in Africa uh, while I was still on probation, actually. I had to get special permission for my probation officer to go. And I accidentally led someone to Jesus. Um, (laughs) And I remember it's like a really, it's a long story, but it's a really terrible, the world's worst gospel presentation. And and this woman anyway, wanted to follow Jesus. And I remember the next day reflecting on it and just like falling, like I couldn't read my Bible. And I just remember realizing for the first time, I knew that God could save anyone because he saved me. I didn't realize, and this is what would change my life, that God could use me to help save others. As soon as I realized that, which I think is like another conversion for me, I feel like it was a conversion from a self-focused faith to like a partnership. Like God's invitation is not just to save me from things, but to also save me for others. And that was really, uh, really informative in terms of how I would live my life. Yeah, that that resonated so deeply for me. And I feel like that's going to be like a thread we're going to kind of keep pulling back on because that is the word for those that are watching and listening is that we are not just saved from, but we are saved to do good works on behalf of the kingdom of God. And I think that so many of us don't know where to start, don't know if we're worthy, as you said, that struggle. And I'd love to unpack that in a minute. But you know, you wrote a book recently called Better Together, and it really addressed um, in this season, the tensions that are uh, existing around men and women in church, doing leadership, trying to work together, finding space, giving voice, all of that. And, And you talked about imagining a better future future. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because I have literally hung with you, uh, been with you, done ministry with you, and you constantly mention that phrase in different ways, in different contexts, but you're always imagining a better future. I got to ask you now on the spot, what, because I want to know, what does the future look like in Danielle's mind? Well, my best hope uh, for the future is that people would find Uh, love and would find the love of God and then love for one another. 
Like, I think there's room (laughs) in God for the kind of love that will give itself away. So, and I think that looks real. Like, I don't just mean love, like uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, love is not just sentimental and anemic. Uh, It's a love that's matched with power to actually free and to liberate and to Mm -hmm. set everyone free, including, you know, like him, I believe that the oppressed and the oppressor need to be set free and that there's only one power who can set everybody free and it's the love of God. Um, and the scriptures are really clear about this. You know, when we use the word love, it just seems so trite because I blame Hallmark, I guess. I don't know, but, uh, you know, or Netflix or something, I don't know. But when we're talking about the love of God, we're talking about a force that cannot be stopped. And um, I guess it's this releasing, living, holding, practicing, you know, using this love that is the most powerful force for change both inside out change, you know, both inside and outside. Um, I guess that's, you know, ultimately when I think about like, what is my best hope for the world? It's that every single person would know and experience uh, the love of God. Amen and amen to that. Um, And, you know, I think there's never been a time that we've needed the love of God more. You know, when I think about 2021, it's such a polarizing time. Um, I think about the conflicts, the camps that we're uh, forming even now around issues, the battles, the hills that people are willing to die on, literally, um, and the animosity and venom and hatred that's coming up between, you know, you know, inter, uh, you know, racially and we're speaking gender wise and there's it's just it's it's I've never seen such a I honestly have never seen such a polarizing time Mm -hmm. I I wonder how do we those who want to see the world filled and flooded with the love of God those that want to be the agents of that how do we navigate in this time and how do we love people that we don't agree with don't understand um that that have strong feelings that we can't work around it's it's a lot of people are just pulling back Danielle like this mm-hmm. and thinking it's just it's too dangerous a time to put myself out there but what would you say to all of that well I'd say first of all the challenge comes from Jesus himself right who challenged his disciples to say if you love someone who loves you back I mean way to go but even the pagans do that like there's nothing special about that but what I'm asking you and this is where Jesus introduces enemy love Right. So I'm asking you to actually go further than that. I need you to demonstrate a love that is more powerful than fear. And I would actually say, you know, this is a a quote that Gandhi used. And I, I really think it's so filled with wisdom. And I've discovered this in my own life as well. He said, you know, we we always think the enemies hate Mm. because it never really is. It's always fear. Mm. And I think that fear expresses itself as uh, division, as hatred, it comes out in visceral ways. And I think when people are afraid, they divide, they accuse, they condemn, you know, they separate, which of course only perpetuates the fear. So I would say that as a people who aren't supposed to be afraid, and this is maybe one of the primary things we hear from God every time God interacts with humanity or speaks to us through the scriptures, even the words do not be afraid come out of his mouth. <laughs> you know, it's like a dominant message. And, you know, the scripture also tells us the only way to deal with our fear is through perfect love. 
So to receive the love of God perfectly, to actually give ourselves over to this love of God means we can confront our fear. Maybe our fear of not being loved or not being accepted or not being enough or not being popular or not being you know, accepted. All of those fears are usually what drives those divisions. And then also what drives us to not love our enemies. So I think that unless we're really you know, dealing with our fear, like what is it going to cost me here to love my enemy or to love those who are different from me? And I, I would say that not only are we polarized in these days, like through social media, you know, we're getting, you know, all the information that we want. We get our viewpoints um, perpetuated in the news cycles through algorithms and all that stuff. But we're also separated and polarized from one another physically, like we just don't, I always challenge people, like look around your friendship groups and how many people are you connected to who are not like you? That's and good, this Danielle. is the way to begin, because I am telling you, as soon as you can create proximity, this is in better together, but I think it, I think it's a principle that works every proximity uh, equals revelation. We see each other differently when we're close up and we know each other. And this is where all transformation actually happens. Like this is where racism gets, gets confronted because we have all these ideas because of them, what we think about those people over there. And then as soon as we're up close and in relationship, all of that dissipates. We're like, Oh, it's different than I thought. Like they're different than I thought. And those us and them categories begin to dissolve when we actually create real relationships that are based on love. So when Jesus said, you know, this is always, it comes back to this. When Jesus said, you know, the way that we're going to do this mission of loving God with all our heart, with all our mind, like this ultimate, like eternal life thing, which is built up in love. The way we're going to do it is by loving our neighbor. That's the way we're going to see love personified, not just talked about, um, not just preached about at every wedding you've ever heard, but literally personified is by loving the other. And when the lawyer tested Jesus in this passage, he said, well, who is my neighbor wanting to justify himself? And Jesus tells one of the most significant stories in the gospel where the neighbor is his enemy. That's who your neighbor is. Your neighbor is your enemy. So I feel like this work is not just like out there. That's the problem. I wish we could sort them out. You know, Dostoevsky said this. I love humanity. It's people I can't stand. (laughs) Love it. Right. So we love these big ideas of like love. We love it. The big ideas that God is love and people want to encounter love, but actually to become that love, to be the love, to go to the jail cell with a, you know, idiot kid who's not even thankful or grateful. And probably there's no evidence of any change in sight and to hug her and say, I love you still um, to do those things. You know, this is what God's love looks like to cross those geographical barriers, those social class barriers. And I would say to people, it's not even just like, do you know people who are different from you, different color than you, a different class than you, a different background than you, a different upbringing from you? Because if you don't, then that's your first step to actually becoming an apprentice of Jesus. Look at his life. He was surrounded and went out of his way to get in the way to be a part of a collective community that where people could really love one another, even though they were radically different from each other. We're just going to call the choir to come at this time. (laughs) 
It's also and, what uh, heaven looks like, you know, <laughs> it's what heaven looks like. So Ooh. I know a lot of people are like, I want to sign. I want to wonder, like, I want to see the evidence of God. I'm like, that's right. the evidence of God in the early that's... church. This was true as well. It wasn't just about miracles. The miracle, yes. the greatest sign of the early church was the way that women and men and Greek and Jew and pagans and believers gathered together and shared with one another and treated each other like a new family. I mean, that was the sign and the wonder of the church. And people were like, what is happening over there? And uh, we still have that capacity. This is what we're called to be and called to do. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I love that. I love that so much. And, you know, I think, I think that we as the church need to understand that it is time to be reflective. I think we're trying so hard um, to be the voice of God and we're saying a lot of things, but are we reflecting the heart of God? That's getting out of the way. That's, that's, that's the, that's the burning of the gold, getting the impurities out so that the master can see his himself in the gold. And I just think so much of the church is, is, so I know this is an old word, but it feels very carnal. It feels very me based. It's very me centered. It's very I and uh, and optics. And I would love for us to get back to that place, like you said, of stripping down and really just reflecting the heart of God on the earth and making it not about us or them, but this collective we the body we mm-hmm. the children of god um it leads me to the to this next question which is so perfectly timed right now um what is your greatest concern for us in the church like what is what is what's that thing that makes you go lord please let us work this out here yeah i mean i think for me it's fear you know when i see people churches organizations making decisions that are fear based And one of the ways you can tell this is happening is that, um, you know, the dominant question they're asking is what will this mean for us? Right. You know, that's, it's just the wrong question to ask. I mean, certainly as a Christian, it might be the right question to ask if you're not, but if you're a Christ follower, the right question to ask is what does God want us to do here? What would be best for the kingdom of God? What would be the best demonstration or reflection of God's heart in this situation? And then what it costs us is um, what we're willing to to give for the sake of the gospel. It's our cross. Um, Mm. And I I think the reverse, you know, I just see so much of the reverse, you know, how can we keep together what we've established? How do we not lose ground? You know, how do we keep this uh, expression even of the church? Um, How do we dig in? Uh, And I think the temptation has always been, you know, in culture, especially if we think a culture is hostile or even indifferent to the gospel. So I get it. I get this out of the life of apostle Paul. Who, who engaged with culture all the time, different from himself as like a master engager. So Acts 17, he goes to Athens, which is just filled with distressing idols. And it says that he is distressed, but he allows his distress to lead him to curiosity instead of judgment. Mm, and that good. curiosity leads him to connection instead of separation. And that connection leads to a genuine engagement and then leads to transformation for people who will listen. And I think that's the trajectory of not being afraid and fear will make us disengage from culture and separate. So we'll have a defensive posture and try to protect ourselves from the world, you know, which is crazy. If you think the power of light, no one puts up blinds and goes, gee, you know, I hope the darkness doesn't get in. No, light is way more powerful than the darkness. So I don't know what we're afraid of the dark for, you know, we're we're literally the light. The darkness is trembling at us. 
And then the other fear posture is total assimilation, where we don't impact or engage with culture at all. We just become just like the culture. And I don't just mean this by, you know, moral decisions that we make. I also mean this by, you know, our economic practices, you know, our business practices, the way we even think about church as a corporation instead of as a family and a community in the kingdom of God. So I think this not being afraid looks like, you know, love, but what love looks like is not being afraid to be curious instead of judgmental and to allow that curiosity to lead us to connection instead of separation. Where do we connect? Where is the heart of our culture? What are people really asking? You know, we think about, I think of a whole generation who's struggling with their sexuality right now and just even trying to define like who they are. I mean, it's the connection is on identity. That's the greatest need of this generation is identity. Who are you? And uh, we have some things to say about that. (laughs) We have some things to say, like you were created with purpose and meaning and you're good. Literally while you were in your mother's womb, the Lord formed you, you know, put you together. And we need to be saying that not like just criticizing people for their sexual ethics. There's something much deeper uh, at work in the world that we can engage with. Oh, I love this conversation. So, so good. You know, I want to talk about, um, I loved your book, uh, Better Together, your latest book. And uh, there was a quote that um, I've just been seeing around and I wanted you to unpack it for us. I'm going to read it for you because I just found it so profound. You, You said, I refuse to believe that all men are bad. And I also refuse to believe that all women are victims. I don't want to just be hopeful. I want to be strategically hopeful. I want to work towards a better world with a shared view of the future that looks like equality, freedom, and flourishing. And we're in this beautiful place of this conversation as we kind of project our hopes for the church and where she should go and where she can go and what she can be. Um, How do we become strategically hopeful? Yeah, I think strategically hopeful moves us from just imagining into working towards. So for me, strategic hope is like, it's gritty, it's real, it's actions that I'm taking. Sort of like I said, I hope that the world experiences the love of God, but strategic hope is me then working towards that and becoming that love so that other people can see. And I would say the same when it comes to women and men working together, which I think is one of the great essential restoration conversations because there's nowhere women and men shouldn't be working together. I mean, it's, it's literally like whether it's at home or at your workplace or in the church, there's no escaping this. So this is like the original relationship that broke after the, the fall, if we want to call it that, after that Garden of Eden dilemma, shame, blame, you know, separation of male and female working together in mutual flourishing. That's when that happened. So I think because it was the first wound, it's the most important wound. It's always the one that comes back up again and again and again and again, like all the work, healing work that you do in your life, you'll have this original wound will keep coming back until you deal with it. So I think it's an original uh, wound and it needs to be dealt with. And I think that we need to deal with it by working strategically. And I mean, I give some real uh, steps in that book for people to begin to work towards uh, to actually fix this relationship. And it's going to, it's going to start with the way how we view one another. Um, so instead of viewing each other as a threat or a competition or a burden, we're going to start viewing each other as mutual partners, right? Mm-hmm. And it's good. Then it's going to start uh, changing how we treat one another. And I suggest in that book, one of the great findings of changing culture within teams is what I call the 30% quota. 
Mm -hmm. The 30% quota is if you don't have 30% of the different, whatever the different is on your leadership team, uh, you're not changing the culture of your leadership team. So that's just the basic minimum. So I challenge teams everywhere. Look at your table. If they're all like you around your table, I would say this is true of the dining room table and it's true of your boardroom table. If everything's just like you, you're not changing culture. You're not challenging culture and you're not demonstrating this mutual flourishing uh, vision that God has for the world. Mm, so good guys I really encourage everyone listening and watching to get a copy of better together it's I I you know it's this impassioned um igniting plea for us to create workable solutions for men and women uh to let go of their bias let go of their um differences and work together to build not only a glorious church but a better world and I think it's 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 an amazing tool for your church for your groups I'd love for you to pick it up you can get it anywhere and everywhere. And it is so, 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 so good. Um, you know, I, I thought of this just on the fly, but I, I want to ask you this because this is close to my heart. You know, we look at our cousins across in the States and we have a lot of American listeners and viewers. And I think this is a good conversation to have. Sometimes it's on it, you know, change doesn't come without discomfort sometimes, but there's this sort of new hybrid of of Christianity and it's filled with political views. It's got some bias in there. It's got, uh, you know, it's laced with some different things. We've talked about misogyny and all of that. Um, you know, is, I, I know the answer, but I want you to break it down. Can a Christian have prejudice and bias? Uh, is that possible that that is your Christianity? Well, Cheryl, I mean, it's possible um, but it's not possible to stay that way. That's good. I, th- I think it's possible to start that way and maybe even be confused along the way. And, uh, you know, even in Acts, when we think about the early church, oftentimes we go to the early church who had it all right. You know, when Peter had his vision in Acts 10 about the Gentile Cornelius, a Roman, speaking of enemy, by the way, Roman, pagan, Gentile, Roman. I mean, this is like all the list of people you're not supposed to see. And he goes out of sheer obedience to God. And even when he gets there, he says, this place is unclean. It's filthy. I shouldn't even be here. I mean, you're just like, oh my gosh, like talk about the worst gospel presentation, you know? (laughs) And, um, and his bias is confronted, you know, God, the spirit works in him and says, look, and, and the Holy spirit comes in the same way so that Peter would know that God shows no partiality. And that's literally the revelation that Peter has is, oh, I see God shows no partiality, which is Mm. the removal of all biases and prejudices and racism and all the things. So this is Peter's revelation. But then immediately after that, he gets called in by the Jerusalem council, which is still the church movement, by the way, the early church movement is still a Jewish sect at this point. So this idea that it's going to the Gentiles and it's going to morph is just so fear-based for the Jews. And uh, he gets called into the Jerusalem council and he's supposed to give it, he's like, we've heard that you went to a pagan's house, like, and you better give us an account about why, you know? So again, we see the bias there. We see that. So yes, of course, Christians, I probably have biases. I don't even know about unknowing biases, uh, whether it's social or global or racial, I have these biases in me and the spirit, this is the good news about the spirit of God, the spirit who is all truth and leading us into all truth all the time can show us and will show us. Because if we're going to be about what it is that God's doing, um, we're going to have to figure this out. And this is what we see. Peter's revelation is like, oh, 
and then, you know, Paul takes it one step further. And then later on, Paul and Peter get in a big fight. I mean, this is like, this is ongoing all through the early church because our biases are real and our backgrounds and all of those things that are embedded in us that we're not even aware of are happening all the time. But thanks be to God, we are not alone. We're not trying to do this by ourselves. The spirit of all truth will lead us into all truth and uh, bring us into a place where we can express and celebrate the fullness of God. Yay. I'm so grateful that we have the spirit. So if you're a Christian who's listening to this and you've been afraid and you have biases and you've all, all you've done is felt condemned. And I feel like that condemnation then polarizes you even more and separates you from the other. I want you to stop being afraid, stop being condemned. I want you to experience the love of God and invite the spirit of God in to show you and lead you into truth. He's going to lead you there. And that truth is going to be so liberating, not only to the person that's polarized, but also to you. Uh, and this is why I think that love can save the world because it saved me and the love of God can save you even from yourself sometimes. Um, so let's do more of that. Oh yeah. So good. Thank you for that, Danielle, man. I just, I, I, every time I have expectations for our conversations, it just, God just blows my mind. I, I, you know, before we kind of wrap up, I really want to talk about the thing that's lighting you up right now in this season. It's so, so exciting. And I think it's another way for us to be the love of God, uh, tangibly on the earth to reflect the heart of God. We've been talking about all of that and to also, um, you know, daily push down any biases, like by intentionally reaching out to those um, who are struggling in this season. And it's called um, In My Backyard, guys. You're going to love this. Uh, It's a beautiful initiative. It's global. And it focuses on the idea of additional dwelling units and relying on our own hospitality to address the needs of poverty, uh, hunger, uh, the housing crisis, so much more. Just hospitality alone can do it, guys. It's incredible. I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about the power of hospitality in my backyard, how that came to be, anything you want to share about that. Yeah, I mean, this is so in keeping with what we've been talking about. And it Cheryl, is. what it you really is. beautifully said earlier, which is that it's, you know, people are tired of Christians proclaiming the truth. Um, it's time to demonstrate it. Um, it's demonstration time. So what does inclusive love, hospitality, what does it look like? how do we live it out in front of our neighbors? And one of the things I've been asking myself in a beautiful suburb in Toronto is how does the way that I live my life at all different from the way the people next door live their lives who don't know Jesus? How is it different? And if it isn't different, am I living it right? Or am I living it to the full, which is what Jesus uh, came to, to give us is life to the full. So there's a couple of things also Walter Brueggemann uh, talks about how the church is meant to be a prophetic imagination for the world. So we're help, we're meant to help reimagine what the world could be like. And then as we demonstrate that it can invoke this idea, like it's possible. You know? So MB comes from a lot of years, really for me wondering, you know, building low income housing units, knowing that homelessness is such a scourge on a whole lot of people and that so much mental illness and addiction actually comes from people being homeless. 
which is a real misconception. People don't realize that, but like a large portion of people who become homeless then suffer from addiction and mental illness. So if we can prevent homelessness, uh, we can do a lot of um, beautiful work in the world and save a lot of people from a lot of misery and cycles of oppression. Um, we're living in an affordable housing crisis. Uh, every city pretty much in, in North America and I know around the world is going through this. And I really also have this idea that we, uh, well, I, I know that we're also living in a loneliness crisis. People have never felt more alienated or disconnected from each other. It appears to me that maybe we've designed our lives around things like autonomy and exclusivity and that those things, although they sounded really great when we watched Leave It to the Beaver, um, didn't turn out to be that good. We're exhausted. We're lonely. We're living these nuclear family, same lives and uh, we're tapped, you know. So it occurred to me and Alicia and Timo, who are my partners in MB, um, that what if we just started right where we were? And we started to welcome people who were most at risk in the affordable housing uh, crisis to live in our backyard through the tiny house movement. And what if that could be a means of helping us live differently, model inclusive hospitality, and demonstrate that there is more than enough room uh, for everybody uh, that's suffering in the world right now. People are welcome and wanted and seen and known and part of our family. And that sounded like the kingdom. It looks like the kingdom. Uh, it's actually something we can do right here and not over there, you know, which is another tendency that we have is we want to change the world, just not ours. <laughs> but it might be time to change ours as well. So it's one of those. It's beautiful. Um, it's brand new. So there's some struggles and, you know, there's development permits and all that kind of stuff that we're struggling through right now, trying to do some advocacy around getting some uh, permits in place. But it is beautiful. People are volunteering, uh, volunteering their backyards, beginning this movement uh, towards wow. hospitality. Wow. And so if anyone is interested and they're thinking, you know, I've got tons of space or I've got a garage I don't use and I really want to uh do things maybe even more intentionally than I've ever done before and reflect the heart of God. How can they reach out? Where can they go for all of that? Yeah. So mbhomes.org is the website. There's also free training resources there. So there's a five part video uh, series on the building blocks of MB and some exercises there. If you wanted to even just start with yourself, just to kind of awaken to what it is we're doing and why. And then there's also a five-part biblical series. So if you're in a Christian small group or a church and you want to go through that, that's all free on the website. You just have to register. We'll send you the study and it comes with discussion guides. And the whole idea is to try to travel together. I'd love for more and more churches and Christians to travel together, to get to this place where we're allowing God to confront our fear and opening our lives to love. And I really, I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but I really believe I love it's it. how we're going to change the world. I love it. And could you spell the website out just because MB for people, they might spell it wrong. Yeah, it's I-M-B-Y-Homes.org. 
Mm, so good. So good. And, you know, even as we're here, like I, this whole conversation has just been flowing. We, we've talked about sort of where the church needs to shift in their in her posture and and this idea of being more intentional, uh, not talking about it, doing it, um, reflecting the heart of God, shedding ourselves from all of our stuff. Um, and I know that there are people that have listened, that have asked me personally and have emailed and so on. I love seeing you because uh, I get to I get the privilege of traveling with Danielle sometimes, but I love seeing what you're doing and, and the work you're doing with Danielle. How can I be a part? And so I thought this would be a good moment because you are kind of uh, God's helped through you as the vessel birth some incredible ministries that do very different things. Um, and, and it might prick the heart of someone who's listening. Could you walk through uh, your ministries and what they address and, and how people can be a part? Sure. Um, that's nice. Thanks for giving me the opportunity. Um, Infinitum uh, or infinitum, depending on how you pronounce that word, is probably at the center of everything. It's the center of my life. It's a way of life. It's using rhythms and prayers and postures to practice Jesus-centered living. Uh, It's been the game changer for me. And so it's free and anybody can have a look and use the resources. Um, there's a couple like deeper dives or retreats that you pay for, but actually just this month we've released uh, once a month, I have a prayer day, a half day of prayer on zoom. Anybody's welcome. Now it's completely free. So you can sign up there. You can get there from my website, daniellestrickland.com, or you can go to infinitumlife.com, uh, whatever suits you best. And that's kind of the center. I think that, um, that invitation infinitum is actually just Latin for boundless Mm. and boundless is the, the invitation God gives us the love of God. You will go ahead, test it. The scripture says in Romans, right? Like you could go as high and as deep and as long as wide, and you will never get to the end of the love of God. So that's what I personally challenged. I'm trying to test the love of God so far. I have not gotten to the end. I'll keep you posted. Me neither. Me neither. Yeah. Okay. It's a race. Uh, Who can get to the end of the God's love first? And so Infinitum is at the center. And then Brave Global um, is another ministry dear to both of our hearts. And this is uh, reaching vulnerable girls and boys to come uh, with a a message of empowerment before they're trafficked. Mm -hmm. And this is a beautiful empowerment uh, message. And we'd love for people that were interested in hosting one or being part of Brave or donating or anything like that you would like to do. There's I mean, Cheryl can tell you all the things she wrote, one of the journals. So you could get a journal and start going through it with some girls, but we just know that girls are not the problem. They're the solution. And uh, this season, I think more than ever, we need girls' voices. Um, So that's brave. Uh, Amplify Peace is a movement of peacemaking. And so there's a a course you can take, Peacemaking 101 on uh, uh, AmplifyPeace.org. You can go there and check out all those things. You could start a peace conversation or circle. There's a podcast. Um, there's global trips and immersions that we do um, before COVID shut everything down. Cheryl and I also partnered in doing uh, a Harriet Tubman discover so, Harriet so cool. Tubman uh, tour kind of thing a, a, a day. It was incredible, beautiful, and there's more to come, much more to come. So check out Amplify Peace, and then of course we've talked about Imbi, and uh, that's uh, I think those are the things, right? So Did I miss good. anything? Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, Women Speaker. Speaker Collective. Yes. Right. And Women's Speaker Collective is designed to help uh, bring together. So instead of competing with one another to collaborate with one another and to help coach and give women 
uh, the training that they need for their voices to be heard in uh, in larger measure. So uh, that's that. And, and you can check that out at womenspeakercollective.com. Incredible. And I just want to say it was braveglobal.org. If you're um, if you're listening outside of Canada and if you're in Canada, it's braveglobalcanada.org. Uh, so check all of those out, guys. Uh, we will have all that information up to as well for you to for you to find out more. But I, I think that it's a season of us um, getting off the bench, if you will, getting off the couch and really asking God in prayer first, like, what is it that you would have me do? And checking in with yourself. What are the things that your heart is tugging on? As you heard about at-risk girls, did something happen there? Was there a prick? Uh, When you hear about those that are homeless, maybe that's pulling your heart in. And God will always show you, the Holy Spirit will always show you the things that that light up your heart. And um, and maybe this is a good question. How, for some that's listening to all of those things how do people figure out it's too big a question I know but what's maybe one or two steps to finding out your purpose is there is there a way to pray or a way to posture yourself Danielle yeah I love what you just said you know there's a tug often this is how it works with me there's like a tug and I pull on it I'm not afraid of it I just kind of pull on it a bit and see where it might lead me I usually say the thing that's right in front of you start with that Because people always want to do like this, they have this idea of what it looks like to, you know, to serve with their whole life and they see it, but it's 10 steps down the road. Just do the one thing right in front of you. Mm -hmm. So maybe you're already connected with a a shelter or like some girls that need some support or a neighbor who's not doing well or a newcomer to Canada who just needs a welcome and uh, in hospitality. And, And that's where you start. Wow. Every single time I speak with Danielle Strickland, I am empowered. I'm strengthened. I'm motivated to do more. I'm challenged uh, to give more. And I'm just so thankful for her. And what I'm taking away from this conversation that I hope you took away as well is that our voice matters. What we do matters on this earth. It makes a difference. And don't think it's ever too small or too insignificant. God will use your gifts, your talents to bless, to heal, to change, to impact lives if you allow him to. I encourage you to do more in your community and know that it is never too small. God uses everything. He wastes nothing. Until then, keep living, keep loving, keep learning, keep doing more, and I'll see you on the path. Thank you for listening to On the Path Podcast with Cheryl Nemhard, brought to you by Fight for Freedom. Educating, empowering, and equipping community members by raising awareness and training others surrounding the issues of sex trafficking. For more information or to donate, go to fightforfreedom.ca. Please like, download, and subscribe. This has been an Exusia Media production.